This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and an executive coach, and today I am delighted to welcome back a friend and colleague, Jim Citron, to the show. Jim, welcome. Thanks, Caroline. I'm so pleased to be here. I am delighted. And we're going to have a great conversation about how remote work continues to evolve and change in the workplace and how leaders can use practical tools to achieve virtual success. But Jim, there's a great story here in addition to your wonderful book. So I'd love for you to backtrack a bit and bring this global audience up to speed about how this book came to pass and the timing of it, because it it happened during a critical moment in our world. So bring us back. Caroline, it's funny. In January of 2020, while the world, at least in the U.S., was pretty normal, uh, all things considered, um, we had a new partner join Spencer Stewart, uh, an amazing woman named Darlene DeRosa. And Darlene, I met her in in person at a staff meeting and i said so tell me your story and she said well i've been uh i came to spencer stewart because uh to work on ceo succession but also i've got a area of expertise that i've been working on for 15 years i said what's that she said remote work and i was like okay well what's that and she said well i did a phd 10 years ago in how the shift from in office work to working from home or working at a distance was going to change the workplace. And I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. And I said to her, literally, I said, Darlene, no offense, but I think that's the most obscure PhD topic I've ever heard. (laughs) She laughed. So then here we are now in the last week in February or the first week in March of 2020, the world shut down. And at a staff meeting in our Stanford office of Spencer Stewart, I was like, I said, well, Darlene, you know a lot about this remote work. What's it all about? And she started talking about how to operate remotely, not just technically, but literally building relationships, managing things. And she said, that's what I studied. And all of a sudden, Darlene went from the periphery of obscurity into the center of the bullseye of every conversation. And then about three or four weeks later, she said to me, because I had published seven books, including one with you, Caroline, uh, over the years about CEO succession, about extraordinary careers, about the career playbook, and all this access that I've had to CEO C-suite as the leader of Spencer Stewart's CEO practice. And she said, why don't we write a book about remote work as it's now happening in the pandemic? And interestingly, her publisher from years ago said, Darlene, this is your time. So we started and uh, we started in the spring of 2020. And you know, from your own book publishing work, it's hard getting the right uh, content and doing the research and all of that. And I've done lots of books where you have to approach CEOs and chief HR officers and board members and getting them to participate is a big effort. Sometimes you have a yield and all this. But in any case, in this effort, we committed to it in the summer of 2020, actually in June of 2020, and we had literally 100% participation because we approached 100 CEOs, 100 CHROs, we did a global survey, and it was all about 
what you were doing in the shift to remote, how you were dealing with it, how you were trying to keep your business operating, how you were managing. And we both interviewed them, but they were also interviewing us about what we were hearing. So we became this clearinghouse in the moment of how this was all happening. And so we actually did the writing. So we did the research June till August, September of 2020. And while we were researching, we were all living it. And then we ended up doing the writing and uh, we locked it in Thanksgiving of 2020. And it was still really a work in process as it is even to this very moment. Anyway, that was the the story from uh, from my, my partner, Darlene DeRosa, who's brilliant at this. And that was her whole practice about how to help clients and companies and leaders operate effectively in a remote or in a hybrid workplace. Well, this is now required reading for everybody. Such an important work. And and you're right, the world is still evolving as we navigate this post-pandemic journey. So what did you learn from the book? I, I know there's so many juicy nuggets in here, but what was a, a clear and definitive message that you and Darlene learned? Well, the first thing is that there were and are and continue to be many advantages to remote or at least hybrid work, there are many pitfalls. And if you're knowledgeable about the pitfalls and you manage to the advantages, then it's a real opportunity for some fundamental improvements to how people can operate. One of the things we did, Caroline, at the beginning is we did a global survey. I know this is a global audience. And we surveyed about 5,000 executives and, and business individuals around the world and we categorize them into two buckets, sort of the broad employee base and the C-suite. And we asked the same questions and we did a, bit, a lot of compare and contrast. Simple things, which now many surveys have, have been done and, 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 and on the topic of remote work. But basically, we were trying to understand were the, was this better for kind of the broad-based employees or was this better for the CEOs and the, and the C-suite? And what were they saying and what were they really believing? And what we found is early on, after the first shock, so really by, by about really late March, and, and it's a real credit to where where organizations, by the way, not just businesses, but we all, everyone who have kids uh, in the healthcare world also, everybody had no choice but to adapt. And we were all so fortunate that the technology enabled this shift for all who were able to make that uh, change in how how the world operated. And there was innovation happening in very much real time. But in any case, the CEOs uh, basically said they loved it. They loved the shift from traveling and and being on the road for individual meetings and all this. And and everybody worked harder uh, but they didn't have the downtime of the commute and they didn't have the traveling to see customers. All of a sudden, at the CEO level, all of their peer CEOs were available and they were able to make progress and business relationships much more quickly than they had been pre- previously. I think the, um, in the, at the broad employee base, uh, there was a couple of really interesting distinctions those young urban workers who tended to have, uh, maybe they were new in their roles 
or they might not have had the physical setup that some who were later on in their careers might have had. They might. Have, we heard some really tough stories about people working off of their washing machine or their or those who had little kids or uh, were caring for elderly parents. It was very very difficult on them, uh, especially for little kids who uh, were, were not able to be in school and all of that. So there were there were shifts in how sorry there were distinctions in how different people were dealing with it. We asked a simple question. Overall, is remote work good for you on a net basis? And do you believe it's good or bad for your organization? And the CEOs basically said, net, net, it's good for me. And they said, it's bad for the organization until we can adapt to it. And then over time, attitudes, as everybody shifted and everybody learned how to deal with this new medium, attitudes shifted and it almost kind of got inverse. And this is where it's really interesting. Most broader based employees found it much more beneficial and they love the flexibility. They love the lack of time commuting. And uh, and then the CEOs started really missing the opportunity to touch and feel people and to to operate in the traditional way. And it's continued to evolve. But the big point is is from a top leader or individuals, how it impacted how leadership has changed and it is continuing to change. So I know that's a topic that you're passionate about and that we'll come to in a moment. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's actually where I was going to go next. Leadership has changed so dramatically when we put the spotlight on the last two years. And I'm not surprised at all, having read the book, that the, the CEOs love the shift. But what about, what about the companies that are saying, nope, let's get everybody back in the office. And it is causing a major rift. And a lot of people are leaving because the studies, other studies have showed that the the rank and file really appreciates the flexibility. But many companies are saying, butts and seats, let's get you back. So thoughts about that? Well, there's a real, if you think about, there's a, there's a real bell curve in how organizations uh, uh, have decided they want to operate. Um, on the one extreme, it's, you know what, this has liberated everything, work from anywhere, that's how we're gonna be forever going forward. On the other extreme, it's like, no, that's done. We need to be, we're an apprenticeship business or it's a culture business or maybe it's manufacturing or whatever it is that makes the top leaders believe we must be back and it's back to normal, quote unquote. Um, And then that's about 30% of the companies on either side of that bell curve. But in the middle is the great 70% where there's a range of hybrid. And that's where most of the innovation is actually happening. Um, The broader point about those organizations, and some are very well known, major Wall Street banks or some other companies where they might be, let's say, in the office real estate business. They feel like we're that's our business. We need to be leading by example. Um, Then the the question there about the implications for the workforce and what their morale or whether they're going to stay and or they're going to leave is really part of the broader context of what's happening in the greater world. Up until the last, say, six months where the economy was incredibly robust, uh, there was, and, and you know, we wrote about this, you know, the great resignation, the shift in power went really to the employees because they, there was growing economy, low, low unemployment, 
and uh, talent really had the upper hand and they were saying, you know what, I, I don't want to be forced to go back. And there was a lot of turnover there. Uh, but as the economy is slowing and inflation and uncertainty with the war and, and Ukraine and uh, there's there's the shift is kind of going back to employers. And so employees might feel a little less emboldened to to move. But it's not just about remote work. It's really about the broader context in which everybody's operating, what's important and what's highlighted. And that that really taps into how leadership leadership is shifting in uh, in the current world. And it's a dynamic process. You're right. It's not the the normal in air quotes. I, I, I like to call this the new abnormal because it is unexpected and it's changing in real time. That, that's, abs- that's absolutely true. Here we are in the beginning of November of 2022, and we have a, a moment in time, and at least in the U.S., the economy is still doing okay. Inflation's out there. And in the U.K., there's been so much political uh, uncertainty and, and inflation raging in Europe and Canada. There's, uh, there's all the, the context there, and I know your audience is around the world. So everybody's operating in their own context. But as a general rule, in the global economy, it's much more uncertain, and uncertainty is the way we're all operating right now. But I'll tell you what's really important, and this goes to another study we did that's we, we, we reference this in the book, and this goes to what employees are really looking for. And I know a lot of your, uh, your audience is either remote workers or women who have come back into the workforce or balancing everything. Um, I think that, not to sound trite, because I'm going to show this with, I'm going to tell you about this with data, the role of purpose and mission is more important than ever before, and authenticity as a leader is more uh, more demanded and, and more important than ever before. And this is where the remote work and, and managing by Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams has been really dramatic. Um, it used to be that CEOs really, as a general rule, felt they had to have all the answers, they had to be completely buttoned up, and they had to really have everything really almost scripted in how they, they led. And in a Zoom world, uh, I think this all that stuff, people sort of saw through that, and they either tuned out when they felt like they were being given canned stuff. Authenticity, absolutely was the rage and it was so liberating for leaders and people at all levels you know whether you had a mom at home or a dog or a baby or something and in the background we've all had those experiences i'll give you a perfect example um the new ceo of starbucks is a great friend of mine loxman narasiman loxman was previously the ceo of the uk consumer products giant called Reckitt, and they make Lysol and Dettol and all sorts of uh, consumer products. Uh, Loxman uh, was operating from home uh, in the UK, and he uh, was doing a global. Uh, he was doing a global Zoom with the Reckitt employees, and his eighty-plus-year mom, who was living with with him from India. Uh, she kind of came on this came on the screen and she was like, Lockman, did you take the did you take the laundry out or something like that? And he introduced her and to their fifty thousand employees. 
And then it, lo and behold, over the next kind of few podcasts, everybody were like, Loxman, where's your mom? Uh-huh. And when, when it was her birthday, he like had her on and she got something like 20,000 messages of happy birthday. And she was just a total normal mom. And it was a beautiful thing. And it made him so kind of approachable and yeah. normal to, to the, uh, but that kind of stuff, we've all had different versions of that story and people who try and like push, push that away. I think people on, on, on a zoom can be even more sensitive. So that, that's like bringing your whole self, you know, you've talked about bring your whole self to work. It's really a great and liberating thing Agreed. back to the data. <laughs> so we did a study 10 years ago. So at Spencer Stewart, we do CEO searches, CEO successions. And the first part of all of that work is to define what the requirements are by interviewing the board, the management team, defining that in a position specification. And so that position specification is an actual document that that really synthesizes what the company is looking for. We went back 10 years and we did we looked at uh, hundreds of position specifications and then we did it in 2021 in 20 uh, in 2010 the the part of a spec looking for a mission driven leader servant leadership uh purpose that was really in less than five percent of ceo specs in 2021 it was in 75 percent of ceo specs wow so it was explicit that that kind of purpose-led leadership was what boards were looking for in their CEOs. And it just makes sense because when you put it back into the question of, uh, into the context of remote work, here's the thing that we learned. People, when they're working remotely, you know, everybody can show up and do their thing, but extraordinary performance happens when people invest the discretionary effort in their work. No one's there in the bullpen, you know, clocking them or FaceTime or any of that stuff. So great hap- great work happens intrinsically from employees discretionarily. And they're only going to do that when they feel connected to the purpose of the broader organization. And when the managers and leaders and CEOs link what everybody's doing to that purpose that people believe in. And so this, this whole thing has really accelerated purpose-driven, authentic, transparent leadership, which I believe, and I know you believe, is a really good thing for organizations and for people as well. It's okay not to be perfect. It's okay to just be passionate about what you're doing, to believe in it, and to be real. Jim, I want to pull a thread because you and Darlene wrote so beautifully about how Zoom has democratized communication, that everyone on the call is equal on the screen. So tell tell this global audience more about that, because I also think you, you mentioned that younger people, emerging leaders can develop more quickly this way. So tell me more. Well, this is one of the huge advantages, and I'm also going to, uh, after this, I want to mention the huge potential pitfall for people to avoid. But here's the huge advantage. If you think about physical meetings in a office setting, in a conference room, everybody takes a seat, you know, boardroom tables or conference tables are typically, uh, they're typically rectangular and the boss sits at the head and people sit around. And a lot of times, and Cheryl Sandberg kind of famously wrote about this in Lean In, a lot of times females or or younger women in the workplace sit on the outside. The way people sit actually has a huge impact in how people communicate. 
on a, a, a Zoom or Teams, when you have the grid layout, everybody is the same on the screen. And it's easier for the leader or the meeting facilitator to make sure that everybody has had a voice. Now, we've all gotten very savvy with the chat feature as well, and that actually accelerates communication. And on a screen, everybody is equal. And what studies have found is that younger employees, uh, more diverse uh, employees, uh, female employees have felt much more confident to be able to make input into conversations. I've then also interviewed many boards and it's the same in corporate boards. And in the boardroom, it's found that usually most corporate boards historically have had three or four people who are generally the thought leaders and the most influential and then chair people or lead directors actually have found that they get a much more balanced and even conversation around the world that actually improves decision-making and improves people's engagement. Because if people feel that they're contributing, they feel engaged and a part of decisions and a part of discussions. So that's a beautiful thing to really be aware of and to know that that's a huge advantage and to go around the screen and say, you know, and for those in the American audience who might be a little older my age you know there was a famous television show you know in the 60s or 70s hollywood squares so everybody in the hollywood squares kind of had that same box and all of that and so on a on a zoom screen that's the same kind of format so here's here's the here's the risk though and and here's something that we really we've done studies on this and we really care very passionately about here at spencer stewart which is diversity equity and inclusion and where where organizations can actually take steps backwards against all this purpose-led leadership and uh, and transparency and the positive aspects of remote where the risk is is when you go to a hybrid uh, environment and when people in the office get treated preferentially for people who are working remote and we, there was, Gartner did a global survey of managers around the world. And they asked the question, do you believe that workers who are in the office are more productive, less productive, or equally productive than workers remotely? And universally, managers said that workers in the office had higher performance than those remote. But then in a separate study, Gartner also found that actually that was not true from analyzing millions of data of performance data. Actually, the remote workers were equally or even slightly more productive or high performance. But if you have that perception that in the office workers are higher performing than remote workers, then clearly the remote workers are going to get disadvantaged when it comes to the plum assignments or the promotions or compensation advances. And this is where it gets really risky. Who are the individuals who tend to be working more remotely or more hybrid than in the office? It actually shows it's working moms, it's it's females, it's more underrepresented minorities. They are disproportionately working remotely. So any strides that organizations may have made to really balance out the DE&I priorities are at serious risk of sliding backwards if the combination of more diverse, 
workforce working remotely, coupled with managers' assumptions that people in the office are more higher performing. So that's the watch out. We want to make sure that your audience really is aware of and can, and those of you who are managers, you absolutely want to promote and and give all the opportunities to your remote workers just as much or even more to overcompensate than the in the office workers as well. So Jim, you set me up for a beautiful segue as we as we work to wrap the show. The title of the book is called Leading at a Distance: Practical Lessons for Virtual Success. So share one or two little uh, micro lessons about how those listening can do something different that they can put into practice to be more successful if they're working remotely. So I'll give two tips that are so hyper concrete and practical. Anyone listening can do it today and it will have a true impact. So one thing is, this is hilarious. The chief HR officer of Amgen, the global biotech company, we were interviewing her for leading at a distance and she had this incredible screen presence. She had this smile and this gravitas. I was like, I said, I said, Lori, I said, just give me a tip. You're, you come across so powerfully on the camera. And she said, she laughed and she said, oh, that's a result of the training we did. I said, well, what was that? She said, we hired a former BBC on-air presenter um, to how people could have great screen presence. And she said, here's the tip. She said, next to your camera, have a little picture of someone who you love or something that brings you joy, whether it's your dog or your granddaughter or your son, and just tape that next to your camera. And you look at that person and it absolutely changes in a very subtle but very real way your facial expression on the camera. So I did that. I took a picture. I took a little picture of my my daughter, Lily, and I stuck it next to my camera. And I just say that. And it's amazing. You just look at that little picture and it just brings you a little joy and it show it changes how your facial expression. So anyone who is working remote, who's on Zooms, have a picture of someone who you love, who brings you joy, stick it next to your camera and you'll see your life will be fundamentally better uh, and, and you'll get a lot of feedback. So that's one. Isn't that, isn't that funny? It's and just like charming. Well, <laughs> I love it. And you know, you can hear it in your voice too, the joy, the lilt. So it's audible as well as visual. Totally. Okay, here's the next thing. This is again part of a study we did that's input in the book. And in a remote setting, especially in people who are in new business development roles or working with new employees, you're introducing yourself all the time. And what we learned is, and this is even more important remotely than in person, is how you introduce yourself. And people make judgments in the first one to two minutes about Hmm, am I going to buy into what this person's saying? Do I want to do business with this person? Do I want to work for this person? It's all in the introduction. And there are two kinds of introductions. There's intrinsic and extrinsic. Extrinsic, most people will introduce themselves, say, hi, I'm Jim Citrin. I've been at Spencer Stewart for over 25 years. I lead our CEO practice. I'm from Great Neck, Long Island, all that. And that's how people tend to introduce themselves. The much more powerful way is to say, Caroline, I'm so pleased to be on this podcast today for two reasons. For 25 years at Spencer Stewart, I've been a student of leadership and I love building relationships. And so 
it's a total different way. If you introduce yourself based on why you're excited to have whatever conversation you are based on something intrinsic, what we, what we found, and we did this study jointly with NYU Stern School of Business, people's attributes of, do I want to work with this person? Do I trust with this person? Do I respect this person? All those kind of positive attributes are dramatically higher based on the A-B test of people doing intrinsic introductions. So when you introduce yourself, don't give your resume, give why you're excited to do whatever you're doing, linking to what you've done in the past, and the people will buy in in the first couple of minutes and be much more responsive to whatever message you're communicating or interaction you're having. Oh, I love it. I love it. Jim, I learn so much from you every time we connect. And this book is stellar. And as I mentioned, it should be required reading for everybody. I want to remind our global audience that you co-wrote with Darlene DeRosa, Leading at a Distance, Practical Lessons for Virtual Success. And of course, it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers. Jim Citron, you are a treasure and I appreciate you. Thanks, Caroline. Love the conversation. And if you like the show, follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out my website at carolinedowdhiggins.com for savvy videos, blogs, and resources to help you enjoy your career and love your life. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.